It's been a long week in the Hoffman household, right, honey? As most of you know, we've been moving households this week. We moved most of our big items on Wednesday and then have kind of been going through the process of filtering through everything else that kind of gets left behind by the movers, and it's kind of an in-and-out thing, lots of boxes everywhere. At the house that we just bought, the former owner was kind enough to gift us one item. It is this really big buffet sideboard. And it's not at like the main level of the house. No, it's downstairs. And it's downstairs where there's just this little narrow passageway to get downstairs. Now, For you who are furniture nerds, it's American Empire design. So you probably know what that kind of looks like in your mind. For the other 99% of us, it's this really bulky piece of wood. And it takes up a lot of space, and it weighs a ton. How do I know that? Because I tried to get our three strong moving guys to figure out how to get it out of the basement and up this small little stairway. So for about 45 minutes, they contorted that piece of furniture and their own bodies in about every possible angle imaginable, and they could not get it up the stairwell. So we've got this big old hunky piece of furniture that doesn't really look all that attractive that's now in our laundry room, and we're trying to figure out how to repurpose it, what to do with it, right? So Crystal, our middle daughter, has been in town for a few days, and she gets out the old English, and she's trying to revive this big old piece of furniture and make it look attractive. She's putting lipstick on a really big pig, right, you know? But that, that's where we've done with it for now. I think probably what we're going to wind up doing with this big old piece of furniture is maybe making it into a folding table in the laundry room. That's about all I can do. And then house a few things inside of it. If you think about it, there's a lot of things in our world today that start out as one thing, but they kind of u- lose their usefulness. And then somebody takes it and repurposes it into something else. How many of you remember 63rd Street Drive-In when it actually used to show movies? What is it today? What has it been for the last few decades? It's a swap meet place now, right? It's been repurposed to something else. You think about all the old warehouse buildings that are downtown that are now condos and lofts. You know, the buildings that are being repurposed. There are ample websites out there that will give you ingenious ideas on how to take A and make it into B. How to take something that has lost its usefulness and make it purposeful again. Facebook has videos and pictures of all these different things. There's ingenuity galore out there. I was just talking about Crystal a moment ago. She's pretty good at this herself, actually. And she does it with palettes. That's her thing. She takes a palette... She tears it apart and she makes something different out of it. She has her own Facebook page. It's called Vindustrial Design. And you can go and you can look at some of her creations there. I wish I could show you a couple of pictures of some things because she's got some pretty nifty kinds of creations. One of them is a beverage bar that she made. 
And it looks like kind of a, a regular kind of entertainment bar area, but it's made out of pallet wood. She took piping, lead, metal piping, and she put it around the base of it and used all the little 90 degrees and screwed everything together and affixed it so that you could rest your feet on it like you would at a beverage bar. She found an old Coca-Cola bottle cap opener and put it on the inside and then she made a little tray and put it in there so when you pop the top off of your bottle it'll fall right in the tray right made out of pallet wood put lights on the inside of it and oh yes she had to go and make a matching set of stools to sit on as well repurposed pallets her most ingenious thing that she created was a shed She has a shed in her backyard solely made out of pallet wood. She calls it her shallot. Right? But the whole thing is made out of pallet wood. It's going to take a massive forklift to ever move that thing anywhere. But it is one of the most creative and amazing things. You think of people who have that skill, that kind of ingenuity within them. Think about the things in your life that you have repurposed your own self. Stuff around your house that once served one purpose and now you use it for something totally different. You understand the concept of what it means for things around us to be repurposed. But think about your own life. Think about how God might repurpose your life. I think we all start out as children. This is kind of our concept. We start out as children who are fresh and new. We would say, and some would say in the theology realm, that you are without sins, right? But over time, you learn what it means to do things that aren't exactly good. We call those sins, right? And if left unchecked, they begin to wear at the edges. They begin to corrupt the core of every single one of us. And if left completely unaddressed, they will cause the disintegration of our spiritual life, our souls. They take us far away from God's basic aim for every single one of us to live in love and in joy because it's been replaced by something. Think about how that might be transpiring in your own heart and your own life today the things that are robbing you of your love and your joy. But the good news is, as I said early on, this is what God wants for us, is something different. God doesn't want to leave us there. Rather, God wants our lives to be transformed and for us to experience that love and that that is that joy. The Scriptures actually say there's only one point of no return, right? That's the grieving of the Holy Spirit, which is... One of those kinds of interesting things in Scripture. No real good theologian yet has come out with an adequate description of what that means to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so I guess none of us have gotten to that point. Right? So that means there's hope for all of us still, for something different to transpire, for us to experience this repurposing of God, because God has something different in mind for us. Not to be left to the consequences of the sins that we would commit, but to be rescued and to be rescued for God's purposes. Read Paul. Just for a moment, read Paul. Read Paul and the things that he has to say about our lives. Paul talks to communities of faith and he 
outlines for us all of the different ways in which we personally and corporately offend one another and offend God, our, our sins. His list is bountiful in his writings. He talks about sexual immorality as it was practiced in the Roman culture of his day. He talks about worshiping of idols, adultery, stealing from one another, greed, drunkenness, abuse, cheating one another in business practices. If you don't like your neighbor, you take him to court and sue him. You get the idea yet? He talks about the sins that we can commit with one another and ourselves. But Paul also reminds us of something else, something powerful. Paul says that we are washed clean, made holy, made right by God for the work that God has in mind and has intended for every single one of us since the beginning, a repurposing in our lives. Bill Hybels, who's the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in in South Barrington, Illinois, the Chicago area, said something uh, to this effect once upon a time. He said, if God's sole objective was the salvation of our souls, then why doesn't God immediately transport us to heaven at the moment of our justification, at the moment that we accept God and believe in God through Jesus Christ. Why didn't God just take us up to heaven at that moment? That's God's ultimate goal. He said it must be because God has something else in mind. God intends for every single one of us to live a purposeful life for God's work in the world. And if you think about the letter titled James, it reminds us of this fact. The goal of religion is not simply to assuage our guilt through our confession. It is not simply a system of belief and faith in God. The goal of religion, according to James, is not only to believe in God and experience forgiveness of sins, but also to work for the purposes of God. That is faith in action. Faith that is doing the actions God intends. So, who we used to be is not who God has saved us to become. God saves us for a different purpose. In 2003, there was a 10-year-old boy by the name of Angus T. Jones who was cast to play a character in a TV sitcom. Anybody know who Jake Harper was as a character? A few of you probably might recognize that name. I'll keep going. Some of the rest of us might catch on in a minute. His co-stars were Charlie Sheen and um, John Cryer. And the name of the show was Two and a Half Men. For those of you who are not familiar with the show, here it is in a nutshell. It's a show about two brothers who lived together. Charlie Sheen played the older brother who writes commercial jingles, and he's pretty good at it. He makes a lot of money, and so he lives in this real nice house on the coast of California in Malibu. That's his home of residence. Now, his brother, John, played by John Cryer, is a younger brother who is divorced, often out of work, broke, and now living with his brother and mooching off of him. Any of you got a younger brother like that? No? Okay, good. And, and oh, by the way, he not only came to live with him, he brought baggage with him, and that was his son. Thus the name of the show, Two and a Half Men. So Jake, as a young boy living in this household, is exposed to two men. He's exposed to his uncle, who is a narcissistic heavy drinker and womanizer, who simply wants his family to go away. 
and a father who prefers mooching off his older brother instead of actually being self-sufficient. These are his role models. The show ran for ten seasons, and Jones was on this show. Angus T. Jones was on the show for the first eight. Now, the show wasn't exactly an award-winning show, but it was successful, and it made Jones rich and famous as a person. In 2010, Angus Jones signed a contract that paid him $300,000 per episode for the next 26 episodes, the next two seasons. $7.8 million. It made him the highest paid child TV star at the time, at age 17. But a couple years later, Angus Jones had a religious experience that changed his life. It created a moral crisis for him because the writers of the story and his particular storyline were morphing his character from this kind of innocent, dumbfounded young boy to a young man who is now becoming a heavy user of marijuana and getting into sexual activity with girls his own age and older women. So they were morphing his character. And he became uncomfortable with that. And actually in an interview, he called the show... Jones left the show, and he began pursuing some charity work. TMZ Magazine wrote and said, Angus T. Jones commits career suicide. But this is what he went on to. Jones, along with others, began to lead and support First Star Organization, and it is an organization that helps abused and neglected children. He, along with some of his other friends, began to sponsor an annual rock and roll fantasy camp for kids to come and participate in. He supported Variety Magazine's Power of Youth Benefit for St. Jude's Research Hospital. He's an active supporter of the anti-bullying alliance called Be a Star. Now, I don't know if this comes out of his religious experience or not, but in some ways you think about the repurposing that has happened maybe in his life, maybe even for some of God's work. You might know someone who's gone through these kinds of shifts in their own lives, gone from one kind of person to another kind of person, gone from a a non-religious to someone who seems to now be fairly in tune with what God has in mind for them. You might be on that journey yourself and seeing these things emerge in your own life. But to be reminded that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ so that you might do the mighty works of God. That this is the life that God has in mind for you. The repurposing God is calling us to. John Wesley, in his sermon titled The Marks of the New Birth, said this. He said, An immediate and constant fruit of your new faith whereby you are born of God is a fruit which can in no wise be separated from not for an hour in your life. And that fruit is the power over sin. The power over the outward sin of every kind, the power over your own inward sin. That the Spirit of God is at work in every single one of us, not just for faith, but for God's good purposes in the world. Adam Hamilton wrote a book a few years ago called Revival, and in it he talks about Wesley's own journey And he talks about the practices that Wesley uses to experience and to be purposeful in living out God's good work in the world around him. 
Most of us know that Wesley traveled almost 250,000 miles in his lifetime. Some of it by foot, horseback, carriage, by ship. He would go out and he would preach in the streets, the fields, and the markets. He would call people to repentance for a change of heart and lives. But what we might miss is some of the acts of mercy that he was very intentional about. Richard Heitzen, writer, a Wesley scholar, notes that this was Wesley's scheme for pastoral visitations in the year 1731. This is his personal diary and journal for day after day. And he wrote, on Monday, visit Borcado Prison. Tuesday, visit Castle Prison. Wednesday, visit children in the orphanage. Thursday, visit Castle Prison. Friday, visit Borcado. Saturday, go back to Castle Prison. Sunday, visit the poor and the elderly. Seven days a week. Week after week after week. Wesley found himself somewhere so that he might participate in God's purposes, the works of mercy. I think Wesley's invitation stands for us still today as modern Methodists. We are invited and we are encouraged to be a people who are invested in the works of God in the world around us. That that be one of the main purposes for each one of us. So as you go away from this moment this morning, a couple of things I want you to kind of remember, ruminate over, converse about with family, maybe with your friends. To be reminded that we live in a world of repurposing. We see people do it with items around us all the time. We understand what it looks like and how it applies. To be reminded also that God desires for this to happen in us. For our hearts and our lives to be changed and for us to be repurposed for God's good work in the world. For us to live that out. To live it out in connection with those who are the needy among us and around us. So here's your invitation for today. Think about this. What particular work or works of God do you find yourself making time for in your life? Think about just simply the afar that we can do. Investing in... Giving turkeys to harvesters is an easy way for us to participate in that. A cash or some checks or taking a few minutes to go to the grocery store and buy some turkeys that will support under-resourced families. To give at the Advent season through our special offerings that, that might come up and the ways in which we can support our mission work. That's one way in which we can participate in the works of mercy. But think of it in a more personal way. What particular work of God are you personally connected to and giving your time to? The kids mentioned Baby Grace and the 65 families that came yesterday and those who had the opportunity to interact with them, your works of mercy. All of us have been saved by grace through faith. We are being transformed by God from sins to work. But not just any work. We are being repurposed by God for God's good work in this world.